morning. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. Welcome to the people who are uh, watching on the live stream right now. I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, you go ahead and read the bulletin. The notices are in there, and you can tell for yourself what's going on. Uh, everything's on schedule for today. One quick note, um, youth confirmation is going to start around 15 to 20 minutes after the service is over every Sunday, and it's going to get over at 1245. I've had the times in there wrong for the past three or four weeks, but just whenever, about 20 minutes after service, and then uh, pick your kids up at 1245 if you would. Uh, at, right after the service this morning as well, um, to kick off the 40 days of life, there's a bunch of information that maybe you saw when you came in in the back, and uh, Pam's got some games uh, and some different stuff set up for us back there. So right after the service, if you, uh, as you're walking through, just stop and uh, uh, you can ask questions, and they've got tons of info back there. And uh, Christy was here this morning with us in the Bible study and shared her story. If she's still going to be around, you can ask her. If you missed this morning, ask her about that. And then Pam's got a bunch of stuff prepared for us as well, too. So stop by there on your way out. I think that's all we have in the way of notices. If you have any questions, let me know. Uh, let's go ahead and stand, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll get started. Let's pray. Uh, God, we confess that uh, the problem is us, that, we, that, that our sinful hearts have turned us away from you, and that we wander all the time, and that... Um, our wills are messed up and our emotions aren't what they should be and our thoughts aren't what they should be. And so, Father, we need you to come and give us yourself and worship this morning so that you can take all of us. You can take our mind and our emotions and our wills and our bodies and make them your own. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead to make that a reality. Apply that to us this morning, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Through your word and through your sacrament and in worship, we want, to, we want you. We want you to come and give yourself to us. And so we pray that you would make that real this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. Just master and my God, the 
psalmist from Psalm 51. This is the quintessential psalm of repentance and forgiveness. You'll remember David uh, wrote Psalm 51 um, upon being challenged of his sin of killing his friend and sleeping with his friend's wife. So this is part of Psalm 51. David says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just a, just a real quick note right here. Um, uh, Moses uses the word nation in this reading. Look, at one of the temptations, uh, maybe this isn't you, maybe this is just in the church that I grew up. When you see the word nation in the Old Testament, one of our temptations was to apply that to the United States. Don't do that here. This is not talking about just your average political nation. This is talking about God's people, Israel and through the blood of Jesus Christ, me and you. This is talking about us. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the just decrees that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who... When they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and just decrees so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You'll notice too, uh, let, let me beat this dead horse like I do every week, that the goal here is not to go to heaven when you die. The goal here is statutes, just decrees that I'm teaching you, do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land. God's goal for his people is to be a part of his kingdom project of conquering the whole earth in the name of Jesus. Okay, the epistle reading is continuing on. We've been uh, tracking with Paul through the book of Ephesians, and now we come to the famous um, full armor of God text. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 7. And Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So one of those weird Sundays where you, you read the gospel reading and you say at the end, you know, as we do, this is the gospel of the Lord. But there's really, it's, it's really mostly just bad news. This is, it's 
very disheartening, this list of vices here, which we're all guilty of. But anyway, so um, this, this text here continues from the text last week. It's, they're, they're the same text, but for whatever reason, uh, they got split up into two weeks, last week and this week. If you didn't hear uh, the sermon text from last week, or at least if you didn't read the text, at least go back sometime and read the text, because it's one kind of conversation that Jesus is happening. So I'm not going to preach the sermon from last week, but just let me review real quick here. Jesus is talking to Pharisees, to spiritual leaders, you'll remember uh, last time, and uh, he calls them on the carpet for offering them their lips while their heart is far from him. They wash their hands, right? But they don't actually, they don't worship God in spirit and in truth. And we talked last week about how the heart in the Bible is all of us. The heart is our minds. It's the way we think. The heart is our uh, feels. It's the, what our emotions do. The heart is our will. It's how we choose things. The heart is our body. The word heart covers all those things. And basically what Jesus is saying is, you give me a little part of yourself, this is, what, this is what we do. We give God, like we give, so to talk to us, um, you know, uh, confessional Orthodox people. We, we give God our minds and we say, well, that's it. That's what, that's, the, now we're right with God. And God says, you know, you, you, worship, you, you worship me with your minds perhaps, but your heart is far from me. Jesus has that conversation with the Pharisees. And then he turns from them in our text away from kind of like the intellectuals, the public, public intellectuals, his peers. You know, Jesus is a rabbi, they're rabbis. He turns from them and he talks to the crowd and he calls the people to him again in verse 14. And he says, hear me all of you and understand. There's, and th- th- then he goes on. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Uh, but first, before we get into the actual text, I-, I want you to do me, this is kind of cheesy. If I was like the kind of lame college professor that I've uh, c- come to hate very much when I was in school, I would break us up into conversation groups and have you discuss this question. But without playing along, without trying to be religious, I want you to answer the question in your mind. I'm going to give you three seconds to answer this question in your mind. Like, what's wrong with everything? Like, what's wrong with the world? Think about that for a second. Don't don't tell me what the solution is. I know you're sitting in this space here and like, they don't have Jesus. Okay, that's the solution. I want you to think about like, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Jesus, this is the question that he's going to answer today, right? Because last week the conversation was basically, how can we be pure? And Jesus says, you're not doing it right. And now he's going to say, this is what impurity really is, okay? This is what impurity really is. So what Jesus is going to do this morning is tell us what's wrong with the world. And and he's going to give us the solution, or at least he's going to imply the solution. So here's what's wrong with the world. Go back to the text, verse 14. Hear me, all of you, and understand There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Just remember what, you wash your hands before you eat, the Pharisees, the other rabbis say. And Jesus said, that actually doesn't, like, nothing that you take into your body has the power to make you sinful. Nothing that you take into your body has the power to make you sinful. You can't eat anything that makes, to make you sinful. You can't hear anything that will make you sinful. You can't see anything that will make you sinful. Nothing that goes into you can make you sinful. But the things that come out of you are what make you sinful. So you're not made sinful by the things that go into you. You're made sinful by the things that come out of you. So, so okay, that's very vague. The disciples call it a parable. They, they tell Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. He unpacks it in verses 18 and 19. Then are you also without understanding, disciples? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and uh, is expelled, the ESV says, because the ESV is a translation for polite people. But actually, in the Greek, it says, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then goes into the latrine, is what it says in, in, in Greek. So you see what Jesus is saying, right? Like, you have unwashed hands. You eat the food. That can't actually make you sinful, because that food just goes into your stomach, and then your body gets rid of it later. And then it's gone. It doesn't really affect you. The food doesn't. Nothing that you take inside of yourself can make you sinful. All right, so let me, before we unpack this, let me say one thing that Jesus isn't saying. And maybe you didn't even think of this, all right? But some of you probably did. So I kind of, give me two seconds to do like a sidebar so I can try to explain this is not what he means. Jesus does not mean here, this doesn't apply to you, I'm giving you two minutes to check out, take a nap. 
Jesus does not mean that physical things aren't important and spiritual things are. He's not saying it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It doesn't matter. All the physical things, that's just outside of you. What matters is like your heart. Jesus is not saying that. It's very, very clear from the Gospels that Jesus is very, very interested in physical things. Uh, he is a physical thing. That's actually the scandal of the incarnation is that our God is a physical thing. Jesus is very interested in physical things. By the way, though, just to emphasize this, the sins that he lists here are not all spiritual sins. That's, that's actually kind of uh, another commercial. I make this commercial a lot. That, that, that divide that we put between spiritual and physical is not real. It's not a biblical notion. It's an enlightenment notion. Like every sin is physical, every sin is spiritual, right? So look at this list here uh, in verse, uh, where are we at? Uh, verse 21. There's lots of different ways that this verse gets divided up. There's kind of some cool like ways to, but, but they're all kind of like, I would bore you to death if I told you about them now. But there's one thing that I can point out to you that's pretty apparent, and that this, this list of sins, some of them are on the more internal side, and some of them are on the more external side. Look at this. Uh, so verse 21. Uh, evil thoughts, uh, that's sort of internal. Sexual immorality, that's sort of external. Theft, external. Murder, external. Adultery, external. Coveting, internal. Wickedness, who knows, very vague. Deceit, internal. Sensuality, again, it could be both. Envy, internal. Slander, external with your mouth. Pride, internal. Foolishness. It's, there, there's, Jesus doesn't actually make a distinction between physical and spiritual. He's not here. He's not after like, I just want you guys to be more spiritual and more like internal. Here's, here's what he is saying though. He's saying that there's nothing physical, there's nothing out oral, there's nothing that you can see, there's nothing that you can eat, there's nothing that you can touch outside of you that has the power to make you sinful. Your sin is in here. That's where the sin comes from, all right? So here's what he's saying. Let me put it, put, put, put it, put it quite simply. I asked you a few minutes ago, like, what's the problem with the world? If you answer that question like I answer that question, it's like this. The problem with the world is the culture is self-absorbed. We're too individualistic. Uh, we don't believe in any sort of like concrete external reality that you can call truth that all people should agree in. Um, uh, people are too angry. People talk about peace and love, and then they all jump on social media and trash each other. That's what's wrong with the world. Now, you see, see what I did there? Everything that I said is stuff that's out there. It's stuff that they are doing. Subtext. People should be more like me. Not, not, maybe not even like in behavior, because I'll admit I lose my temper sometimes too. But as far as like knowing what's right and wrong and trying to do what's right, people should be more like me. Out there is where the sin's at. I know I'm sinful. I, 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 did, you know, I did confirmation class. I know I'm sinful. But basically, like, we have the truth. We are right. And the evil is out there, or sometimes it's right there on the second pew, depending upon uh, where, whether I'm home or not. Sometimes it's right there, depending on if stuff's going on. The evil is always out there. But what Jesus is saying is, is that the evil isn't out there. You can't think of it like that. My family, my friends, my church, um, social media, music, food, uh, stuff on my phone, none of it has the power to make me sinful because I'm the problem. I'm the problem. That's what Jesus is saying. So let me give you some examples here real quick if I can. Okay, so you get angry because your employees won't do what you're telling them to do. You have just sinned. And if I ask you the question, why did you just sin? The answer is, is because my employees won't do what I'm telling them to do. But what Jesus is saying is that your employees don't have the power to make you sin. That sin is in here. Or, or your boss, you know, it's, it's, your, your boss is a numbskull. And you work for somebody who just doesn't, really, they know less than you do, but they're telling you what to do. That actually, your boss doesn't have the power. That circumstance does not have the power to make you sin. That sin came from inside of you. Um, you, have, you have a friend who gets a pay raise or comes into money somehow, and you feel this sort of twinge of like, 
oh, I wish that was me. A little bit of resentfulness. Or they lose the money and come back to your, to your level and you start to feel that schadenfreude of like, you know, we never admit to schadenfreude out loud, but this sort of like, oh, good, I, I'm glad, you know. I didn't, you know, maybe they didn't deserve it. Or maybe just like, I'm happy that, that we're on the same level now and I don't have to feel like I'm inferior to them when I'm around them. Actually, money and your friend's money has, doesn't have the power to make you greedy. That, that's, that, that greed is inside of us. It's inside of me. Here's another one. Does, does porn make you lust? No. A bunch of you look at porn. Does it make you lust? The answer is no. Porn does not make you lust. That lust is already in your heart. Now, this is one where every, up till now everybody's been like, oh yeah, okay, I see that set. But so, so are you arguing that porn's okay? No, I'm not. The, uh, the epistle reading today is actually kind of a good um, nuance to this, lest you take Jesus simpli- simplistically. Like, we should defend ourselves with the full armor of God. Also, of course, you know, you always have 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. Not because that evil has the power to make you sinful, but because I'll explain this more in just a second. Because that evil can draw out the evil within you. I am not saying that it's okay to look at porn because when you lust, it's your own fault. I'm saying you don't blame the porn. Whatever it is that's causing you to lust, your insecurity, your desire to be attractive, whatever it is, that's coming from deep down inside of here. The porn doesn't make you lust. The lust is already in here. Fear or angry, fear, fear or anger at the other political party, whatever political party you're in. This is like, uh, I know that this is just like what we do these days, right? Like we're all like, what's wrong with the world? Everybody instant, not everybody, but almost everybody instantly says, political party that I don't belong to, the other political party. That's what's wrong with the world. Do you understand that that political party has no power to make the fear and anger that builds up in your heart? You can't blame the other political party for that. You can't justify your fear and your anger and your anxiety because, well, I'm standing for righteousness. No, that other political party has no power to do that. That fear and that, that, that anxiety and that anger, that's actually your sin. That's actually your sin. Don't blame your sin on other people. Marriage is the same way. When, when I talk to people about marriage, when I've done marriage counseling with Angela, no, I don't mean I'm counseling Angela. It's usually the other way around. I mean, when Angela and I have gone and sat with a counselor, another person, and you know, the question comes up, what's wrong? The answer is, is well, um, you know, this marriage is not doing very well because uh, she, my wife ignores me or uh, my wife isn't affectionate enough with me or my wife sasses me too much or whatever it is, I hardly ever talk to anybody who comes in for marriage counseling and says, hey, we need to get counseling because I'm just so broken and screwed up and sinful. I'm really pulling this marriage down. Hardly anybody ever does this. The problem with your marriage, t- tell me the truth. The problem with your marriage, the problem with your friendships is your friends. It's your spouse. That's what your heart tells you. And what Jesus is saying is, is that Angela does not have the power to make me sin. That comes from inside of me. That comes from inside of me. Right? Now, all these different circumstances, I'm not saying, so, so you're saying, so you're giving Angela like a free pass here? In some sense, me personally, I, I, I can't really control Angela. I can repent of my own sin. So in some sense, I'm giving Angela a free pass. Angela's a Christian too, though. Hopefully she's reading this text. Hopefully you guys are reading this text. And if you're recognizing that the problem with my, our relationship with each other is your sin, and I'm realizing that the problem with our relationship with each other is my sin, then hopefully we can get to a place of repentance and gospel reconciliation. But as long as I say, you know what's wrong with St. James Lutheran Church? These people here, like God gave them graciously a wonderful pastor who just loves them and loves his word, and like, but they just won't listen. As long as I'm saying that, I'm going to be a screwed up pastor and this is going to be a screwed up church. But when I come to the place where I say, St. James Lutheran Church has no power to make me sinful. Angela has no powerful power to make me sinful. Lust has no power to make me, uh, porn has no power to make me lust. Bad traffic has no power to make me lose my temper. When I get to that point, I can repent. So it's like this. You take an espresso machine, right? And you take the, um, you take the espresso beans and you put them in that, what's that thing called? It's like a little ladle, and you stick it in there, and then you guys know how espresso is made. It's a very technical conversation I'm about to do here. It's made with a combination of very, very hot water and high pressure. 
Very, very hot, hot, very, very hot water is forced very quickly at high pressure through a little puck of espresso beans. And then what comes out into the cup is espresso, right? Well, how does the espresso get there? The espresso gets there because of the espresso beans. If you force hot water at high pressure through nothing, you get hot water. It's the espresso beans. So, and when I say this, when I was like, when, when I say I lost my temper because traffic was bad, or I was at the gas station and I was standing in line and this guy didn't even see me and he just cut in line and I lost my temper, it's that guy's fault. What I'm doing is I'm saying that um, it's, you know, it's, it was the pressure. It was the heat. That's what made me sin. But actually, you know what the pressure and the heat did? You know what the, the guy who cut in front of me did? You know what the porn did? You, you know what the, the guy cutting me off in traffic did? You, you know what being angry at the other political party did? You know what they did? They actually just brought out what already was in there. The pressure and the heat didn't make me sin. It just exposed what was in my heart. You lose your temper at somebody, it's because you want power and control, not because that other person's a jerk. And they might be a jerk. They might be a jerk. That's not the point. Churches do this too. Churches, look, look, so, so I, I, I told you that, guys this last week. I've probably mentioned a lot. I grew up in independent fundamental Baptist churches. Like, I know what fundamentalism is. The death knell of any church, local church or church group, the death knell of any church is when it fails to be self-critical, is when it fails to look at itself and say, you are what's wrong. As soon as any church body, as soon as any synod goes into fortress mode, and it's like, we're right, and we're standing against all the bad people out there. And, but by the way, I'm not saying that it, like, we should want to be right. We should be committed to God's word and truth. And I'm not saying that at all. But as soon as we turn into, we're the right ones, and the problem is out there, we're done. We're done for. Churches do this all the time. And, but we don't realize it. We don't realize it, right? Because it's not any fun to like, look at your own heart and say, it's all my fault. I lust. I lose my temper. I'm greedy. I'm deceitful, I lie, and it's not anybody else's fault, but it's my own heart's fault. I've been kind of intrigued lately by some of you, if you grew up in these circles, you'll know this name. If you didn't, you won't know this name. Joshua Harris, some of you will remember the book that he wrote, I think back in the 90s, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Do you remember that book? He was arguing for this sort of like, um, like this radical purity, giving up dating altogether and doing uh, courtship where your parents and your family are involved and who you get married to. Um, he became, when he published that book, he became like a Christian celebrity, whatever that's worth, uh, an evangelical celebrity. He uh, became a pastor of this really big church, and it kind of crushed him. The church crushed him. Like, he was in this network of people that mistreated him, and uh, he eventually left his church, and then five years later, left his wife, and then two months later announced, I no longer identify as a Christian. This is what Christian celebrity does to people, right? It chews them up and spits them out. We weren't designed for it. We weren't, none of us were designed to be superstar. None of us were designed to stand in front of somebody and be like, I have the truth, listen to me, because none of us have the truth. Our hearts are black and dark, and whatever's wrong comes from within. So anyway, a couple months ago, Joshua Harris, uh, very, very, this is, uh, again, if you're in the circles, you've heard all about this, published this curriculum that uh, he was sort of advertising online and on social media, uh, helping people, as he says, who are in the process of deconstructing their faith like he was. And he's giving them advice on how to do this, how to like move away from your Christianity without giving up the good parts of Christianity. And, and he, got, he got lambasted by all different kinds of people, like Christians and non-Christians too, because you know what his problem was? It's this great piece I read uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I'm thinking about it right now, by a Christian philosopher named Carl Truman. You know what his problem was? He's still Josh Harris. He stands up in front of a church as a Christian celebrity, and that crushes him. But he can't escape that because that's what's in his heart. The fame, the attention, the sense of I'm important and people like to listen to me. And so now he's become a new version of a celebrity. And until he moves away from that, like I'm, so I'm preaching against Josh Harris, like it matters. I should be preaching against Aaron Miller is what, should I be, what I should be doing. Until he and I move away from that notion that I have the answers and I can solve your problems, I'm going to continue screwing myself up and screwing Angela up and screwing you guys up. The problem is me. We've seen the enemy and it's us. It's not the outsiders. 
It's not even like, you know, God deliver us from, from, from murder and God deliver us from, uh, from uh, you know, brazen immorality that's in the public sphere and on social media and on easily accessible on the internet. But that's not the problem. The problem is me. The problem is us. Okay, what's the solution? How do we become right then? A couple things I want to point out, and we'll be done here in a minute, about what, how Jesus handles this. So first of all, what Jesus does here is crazy radical. And I know I just like, you know, we all stood and I read it and we say, you know, thanks be to God and whatnot. But don't lose how radical it is what Jesus is doing. These, all these people, Jesus and all of his friends, the rabbis, his disciples, all the people, they've been reading the Old Testament for how many years? They know what the Old Testament says, right? And now Jesus comes along and says, oh, forget what the Old Testament says about washing hands. Just forget that. We're doing something new now. Like, would you, like, it's easy for us to say as Christians, like, oh, those, you know, the rabbis, they didn't know what was going on, and, like, they were kind of dumb, and they should have just paid attention. Like, none of us would. Like, if somebody comes along and says, you know how you've read your Bible your whole life? We'll scrap that. What Jesus is doing is crazy radical. I don't blame the rabbis at all for being a little bit like, who is this nut job? Because, you, know, you know what he just said? Like, all those clean, unclean laws, they don't work. Just don't do them anymore. That's a crazy thing to do. Jesus has this sense that the Bible is, this is super important, listen to this. Jesus has this sense that the Bible is not a list of rules and regulations to follow. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There are rules in the Bible that we should follow. But that's fundamentally not what the Bible is. Jesus has this sense that the Bible is a story that's about him. That the Bible is a story that's going to radically change when it gets, so washing your hands laws. Exodus 39, priests must wash their hands before entering into the tabernacle or before eating. Jesus knows that that law is designed to point us, God's people, to the purity that God desires us to have. Washing your hands, all the dietary laws of the Old Testament, they were designed to point us towards purity. Like food laws, clothing laws, the way you're supposed to wear your, all that was supposed to, to, to point us towards purity, but was not powerful enough to make us pure. You can wash and wash and wash and wash and wash your hands. You'll never be right on the inside. This is like one of the issues with OCD, right? Is that people have the sense that like, I need to get clean, but they never get clean enough that they can stop trying to get clean. That's, that's, our, that's our position here. Jesus comes along and says, here's what I want you to know, is like, this was actually just a story leading up to me. And I'm here now, and you no longer need to do those things that point you towards purity because I'm the purity maker. And since I'm here, I'm going to make you clean. That's super, like, it's super radical that somebody would come and say these things. Well, we'll talk in a second about how can we know that he is the, the clean maker. How can we know that he's the one who makes us pure? First of all, let me just point out before moving on that this story happens within a larger story. We're headed towards the cross, right? This is how Jesus is going to do this. The, 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 why I'm saying this is because this story is largely negative that we just read. You know, I, I, I know I just said this is the gospel of the Lord, but honestly, there's not a whole lot of like, God loves you in Jesus Christ that's explicit here. There's a little bit implicit we'll get to in a minute, but you can't forget the cross here. This is headed towards the cross. Jesus makes us pure by the cross. But is there anything actually in this text that would point us towards Jesus is the one that makes us pure? Actually, a little bit. Look at verse 19. There's this, you know, Jesus says this bit about the food can't defile you since it comes not into the guy's heart, but into his stomach and then goes into the latrine. And then you have this interesting parenthetical comment by Mark here. Thus he declared all foods clean. Thus he declared all foods clean. Actually, in the Greek, thus he declared is not in there. Literally in the Greek, it says this. I'll read the whole verse 19. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is put out into the latrine, cleaning all foods. Cleaning all foods. There's no, he declares it. Well, he does declare it, but that's not the point. The point isn't that Jesus says all foods are clean. The point is that Jesus makes all foods clean. The point isn't that Jesus says people are clean now. The point is that Jesus makes us clean. Look, so the problem is my heart. It's dirty and it's filthy, and it's my main problem. I didn't say this to you, but like, I'm sorry, let me move on. I'm going, to get, I'm going to get there in a second. What Jesus does, though, Jesus is the only one who has the power to do this. Look, I can stop looking at porn 
it will not make my heart not lust. I can decide I'm not driving to work anymore. I'm taking public transit. That will not cure my temper. I will still have a bad temper. I can decide, you know what? I'm going to sell all my goods and give it to the poor. That will not cure the greed in my heart. I can decide, you know what? I'm going to work like a dog and make as much money as I can. That will not cure the greed in my heart. I can decide I'm going to get everybody to vote so that the party that's in power now won't be in party. That will not fix our problems because the problem's in here. Jesus is the only one. You can wash and wash and wash your hands. Your heart will never be clean. Jesus is the only one that can make unclean things clean. How do we know? He does it all the time. It's what he does. Lepers, you guys know the rules uh, uh, under any kind of like um, Eastern law, but you, you're familiar with this from, uh, from uh, the law of Jesus' day. You, you can't be close to lepers. Not, the issue isn't getting skin diseases. That may or may not be the case, although some leprosy wasn't like contagious. The issue is ritual uncleanness. If somebody with leprosy touches you or you touch them, it's like what I said last week, that quote from uh, uh, Jacob Neusner about touching a lizard. It doesn't matter if you're clean or not. If somebody with leprosy touches you, you're unclean. You, you can't go to temple. But what does Jesus do with lepers? He's not scared to touch them at all. Why? Because their uncleanness isn't powerful enough to make him clean. The flip, flip, the, the flip is true. His cleanness is powerful enough to make them clean. Their leprosy doesn't make him unclean. His righteousness makes them not lepers anymore. He does this with a woman who has a flow of blood. We read this a few weeks ago. Her uncleanness is not powerful enough to make him unclean. His cleanness is powerful enough to heal her. He's going to do it next week in our, in our gospel reading next week with a Gentile woman. He comes in contact with a Gentile woman. It doesn't make him unclean. Instead, he makes her clean. This is what Jesus does. Jesus makes things clean. Your only hope of anything getting fixed is not for everything else around in your life to change. My hope is not that Angela straightens up and my kids start obeying me and you guys finally decide to give me a decent raise and start obeying me whenever I command you to do stuff. And, you know, the people in the traffic just calmly passing and parting while I drive through. That's not the cure. That won't fix me. I need Jesus. He's the one who makes unclean things clean. So what are we going to do? If the problem is us, that means there is no space anywhere for anything less than repentance. I, I know this might sound discouraging. Repenting nonstop. This is what Jesus is saying. I don't need you to change. I need to repent of my sin nonstop. So for those of you who are Lutherans, you should know what the first of the 95 theses is, right? Very first of the 95 theses, Luther says, when our Lord Jesus Christ, our Master Jesus Christ says, repent, he wills the entire life of the Christian to be one of repentance. He wills the entire life of the Christian to be one of repentance. Now, it sounds like that would be like really kind of a downer, like walking around, being constantly repentant before God for what you think and what you say and what you do. But actually, it's the pathway to cleanness. Living life of constant repentance. I'm not trying to get Charlie to repent. I need to repent. Charlie's got the Holy Spirit. I don't have to worry about him. He owns copies of the Bible. He goes to church. He receives the sacrament. I don't have to work. Let, let God take care of him. Let God take care of the world out there. You know what I need to deal with? By the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ, Aaron Miller. Full on, nonstop, comprehensive, holistic mind, emotion, volition, body, repentance. That's what I need. Turn to Jesus. We don't blame our sinfulness on outside things. We repent all the time. And then we come to Jesus. That's one of the things that we're doing now. We're about to come to communion. One of the things that we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need, I need you for all of me. Come to Jesus. Look, some of you need to abstain from every form of evil. One of the problems is, is that some of you continue to look at porn. I'm not, changing, I'm not changing my tact here. Is that you continue feeding the beast. You're wrong because you're blaming the porn. But you're right. But... but you're wrong because you're blaming the porn. You're also wrong because you keep on looking at the porn and it keeps on feeding it. Some of you need to stop playing tennis for a little bit. The tennis isn't bad. You blame the tennis for losing your temper at your partner. Some of you need to, se some of you need to step away from social media. Some of you need to step away from your phones and from your computers just so that you can have the space to see, actually, it's my own heart that's the problem. And what I really need is Jesus. None of that other stuff is gonna fix it, only Jesus. Okay, stand with me and let's pray and then we'll come and let's receive Jesus at the rail. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank, you for being, uh, we thank you for being the kind of God who takes on human flesh to meet us where we're at. Father, I confess to you that I blame everybody else and everything else for the problems in my life in just reading this text the past couple weeks. Father, please convict me afresh that the problem is me. It's my own sinful heart. God, give me the gift of repentance. Give me the gift of faith in your son, Jesus. Wash me and make me clean. Apply the salvation that your son won for me on the cross and from the empty tomb. Apply that afresh to my soul. Change my behavior, Father, from the inside out. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for all of our, uh, all, all the churches across the world uh, today, Father. We pray, we pray especially this morning for our sister LCMS churches, especially the ones that are in our area here. May we all grow in grace together. May we see your kingdom proclaimed. And right now, across our churches, as your word is being preached and as your people are worshiping you and as your people are receiving the sacrament and reading your scripture, uh, transform us, Father, into the kind of people that can be uh, kingdom people, the kind of people who can reflect your image here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon in our area. You also pray for all all the gospel preaching churches in this area. Grow us all up in faith. May we see your kingdom come here in Glen Carbon slowly but surely. Positively, Father, may we see uh, your people grow in grace and knowledge, and may we see unbelievers come to you. Lord, in your mercy. We also pray again, Father, for our brothers and sisters who are in Afghanistan, and that uh, you would be with those who are even right now uh, being martyred for confessing your name. And it just seems and it feels so uh, cheap and easy for me to pray this prayer in the safety of this air-conditioned room. Uh, But God, keep them firm in their faith. Hold them fast in your arms. Assure them of your gospel. Give them a sense of peace and security in knowing you. And all of us, Father, as we all are facing our impending death sooner or later, keep us firm and fast in the faith that you've given to us. Give us a heart of love for you and for each other that could never, ever be squelched by the powers of hell. And keep on growing your kingdom, Father. And may may the ones who persecute May they see your face in the people that they persecute. May they experience your love coming from the people that they persecute. May they hear your truth coming from the people that they persecute. And renew them and regenerate them and draw them to yourself through this. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, our brother, who has united us to himself and brings us into your throne room as his brother, uh, as his sisters and brothers, and as your daughters and sons. And so we pray these things in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, which you can find in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Don't leave without uh, checking out the 40 days for life uh, stuff out there and participating in the stuff that Pam has prepared. Go in peace.